0: This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with your teacher, Brian Johnston. Our theme this series of studies is Going the Distance. Previously Brian's considered how we battle against discouragement, then last week how to survive feelings of guilt, and this time we'll see how to overcome apparent failure in our disciple life, to progress through our difficulties and still remain strong. Now we'll be reading, or rather Brian will, from the first book of Kings in the Old Testament, if you want to follow in the readings in your own Bible. Anyway, here's Brian. Thanks, John. King Ahab ruled over the ten tribes in the north
1: of Israel. He wasn't a good king, not even a good man. In fact, we're told that he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It was before this king that the prophet Elijah, at God's command, pronounced a judgment that there'd be no rainfall for at least three years. For the protection of his prophet, God then sent him into hiding, first beside a small river and then to lodge with a widow woman and her son. Then after three years, Elijah stood before Ahab again. Following Elijah's instruction, the king agreed a sort of competition or showdown on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Israel's pagan idols, which the king's wife Jezebel favoured, would prepare a sacrifice, and so would Elijah, the God who answered by fire, would be seen as the true God. The prophets of the false gods went first, without success, of course. And then we read from 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 36 At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah executed the false prophets there and then and told King Ahab to get home before the rains came. What a momentous day it had been. But then events take a sudden and quite unexpected turn. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, sends a death threat to Elijah, one that has him running for his life. Now, doesn't it seem strange that such a person as the fearless Elijah, at such a time as this, just after his triumph on Mount Carmel, and by such means as a woman's threat, which only involved cursing him by the very same gods that he demonstrated to be powerless, isn't it strange we say that Elijah should react like this? What's going on? Might this have been something brought about by the stress he'd gone through? After all, he'd been in hiding for three years. Then the strain of the competition on Mount Carmel. Then the physical exertion involved in slaughtering the false prophets. And finally now he receives a death threat. It was a lot he had to handle. And does all this lead to some kind of what we would call now burnout experience? Maybe we're startled to find that such a diligent, energetic and good worker for God could express feelings of failure. But that's exactly what he did. What's more, Elijah was suicidal. In First Kings 19 and 4 we read, He went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It's enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Hmm, a day's journey into the desert. That's definitely a suicide bid. It's interesting that God records this incident and devotes most of a chapter to it. He must be intending us to learn something practical from this. Elijah seemingly hadn't learnt the lessons of the riverside, the widow's lodging place, and the mountaintop showdown. In all of these places, God had worked for him by his providence and power. Instead, Elijah was more afraid of one woman's curse by the very gods whose impotence he'd already plainly demonstrated. But you know, anyone can be vulnerable after a victory. And this was no ordinary victory. It was one Elijah must have imagined would surely lead to a mass revival. But instead this has happened. Elijah was disillusioned. It seems things haven't worked out after all. Then he makes a foolish comparison. I'm referring to how he saw himself as no more successful than his forefathers in eradicating Baal worship. What to do? Other than, in 1 Kings 19 and 5 it's recorded, Elijah lay down and slept under a juniper tree. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Let's consider how God treated Elijah. He waited until Elijah was rested and had eaten enough food before later confronting him with the question, What are you doing here, Elijah? Although God didn't initiate it, God overruled the journey he was on. The journey was through a desert, heading for Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. It seems God would have Elijah to relearn the lessons Israel as a nation were meant to have learned in the past. Elijah spends 40 days in the desert, answering to the 40 years Israel travelled through a desert to reach the same destination. Like them, Elijah also is sustained by the food of angels from heaven. That original journey, made by Israel, had been designed to humble them and test their obedience. It probably functions now in a similar way as a reminder of Elijah's need for dependence upon God. Meanwhile, Elijah now arrives at his destination, First Kings 19 again. He came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' hear how Elijah is encouraged to ventilate his feelings and talk through his problem. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. You know, Elijah wasn't being realistic, was he? For he certainly knew about a man called Obadiah, who'd told him about another 100 faithful prophets whom he'd hidden to keep them safe from Ahab. And despite knowing that, Elijah still feels an isolated failure. At Horeb, Elijah witnesses similar signs of God's power to those Moses had seen on that same mountain hundreds of years before. And these were also things that corresponded to what Elijah had lately seen on Mount Carmel. But at the end of it, Elijah still felt the same way about himself. How do we know that? It's because he returns the same answer to the question that God repeats. It seems that after the further display of God's power in the wind and earthquake and fire, Elijah had evidently gone back into the cave until he heard that sound of gentle blowing, which attracted his attention and brought him out once more, to the mouth of the cave. Might we understand, I wonder, this gentle noise as a demonstration that God doesn't always work in the same way. He doesn't always work in a spectacular way. What's more, how God worked for Moses is not necessarily how he's going to work for others. We should avoid making unwise comparisons of the type Elijah made when he compared himself unfavourably with his forefathers, who, like him, had failed to put a stop to Baal worship. The narrative in First Kings 19 continues it now at verse 15. The Lord said to Elijah, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel mehola you shall anoint as prophet in your place. God will now seemingly use Elijah in gentler ways. This could be seen in the fact that he only carried out the third of the three tasks directly, since the other two were performed indirectly by others. In any case, these three men whom he was asked to anoint would be the ones to complete the task of eradicating Baal worship. In God's bigger plan, Elijah was just a link in the chain. We can load sometimes too much responsibility onto our own shoulders. And then God says in verse 18, "'Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel.'" All the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so finally, God addresses Elijah's feeling of isolation by giving him reassurance that, in fact, and contrary to his feelings, he's not alone, far from it. How good it is to know that when Satan tempts you to despair, God whispers softly and reassuringly, You're not alone you're not even finished. I've got things for you to do. It may not be anything showy, but please don't compare yourself with others. You're definitely part of the bigger picture that I'm busy with. Have patience. Results may not be instant, but I do need you to take care of yourself.
0: Thanks for your talk, Brian. Now, by way of reminder and for further study, you might find it helpful to have the transcript book of these talks. It's available to you if you aren't able to follow the usual route of getting a download from our church website, which can be found at churchesofgod.info forward slash media. And then you could print your own copy from a PC. But if you're not able to do that and you need to request a hard copy, just ask for going the distance. Write to us by email or by post. And here's our address Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Also, look out for Search for Truth, featuring on www.twr360.org. This is yet another excellent way of accessing, again, particularly older programmes that you first heard here on air. So, many thanks for the pleasure of your company today. I hope you'll join me at the same time next week when we find more help from the bible in dealing with difficulties which crop up in our lives especially when we're trying to live our lives for christ i look forward to your company but until then it's goodbye and very best wishes from brian david our singers and me john see you again soon and may god richly bless you